You are Locked On Jaguars, your daily Jacksonville Jaguars podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to the Locked On Jaguars podcast. This is our second edition together, me and my man Phil. I'm Tony Wiggins, your host, better known as T-Wig or Shop Talking Wig on Twitter. It's at Shop Talking Wig. So we kind of introduced ourselves the last time and we put in a, a little bit of an overview of, of some of the things that we're going to talk about and looked at the team. A couple of positions that we didn't really pay attention to that we're going to do uh, in our second segment today. We're going to look at the tight end position, look at the running back position, and we'll even touch on the offensive line position uh, for a team that obviously had a lot of injuries on the line last last year, had a running back, make or break year, Leonard Fournette, and then a tight end position, which it seems like Ever since maybe 1997 or 98, they've been trying to fortify that position and get that position up to par, and they did address that a little bit in free agency, but they also used the second-day pick in the draft on Josh Oliver for that position. But first and foremost, we don't want to bury the lead here. Right now, one of the most talked-about things uh, with this team is uh, where is Telvin Smith? Not only are they asking where is Telvin Smith, but, Phil, they're wondering, uh, will there be a future here uh, for Telvin Smith on this football team? They signed three free agent linebackers yesterday, and they drafted a linebacker at the end of the third round, which caused an uproar with a lot of people because they didn't really know uh, who this young man, Quentin Williams, was, except for the fact that he was the younger, the older brother of Quentin Williams. Uh, we've uh, since then found out a little bit more about him, and he is a – Obviously, a very fast, talented, driven sort of player that seems to kind of like fit into this locker room culture issue. And that kind of leads us right back to Telvin. That kind of leads us right back to, well, what's the problem? Is Telvin not really the locker room guy? You started to hear rumblings and you started to hear things about him. Uh, maybe going off on people in the locker room last year, maybe having a little bit of an attitude issue. He's due a lot of money. This year, it's guaranteed. They can't really cut him. It's not beneficial to the team from a salary cap perspective to cut him. So, Phil, you know, we're going to look at Telvin a little bit and find out, you know, maybe what the heck has gone on with him in terms of his stance with the team and, and his possible future with the team. Yeah, I have no idea where he is, and I don't think the team knows where he is. I don't know if the agent knows where he is. I, it's just it's a weird situation, and I I kind of want to like reserve, uh, you know, opinion until we get all the information. I, I was hoping maybe you would know, you know, because you're a Florida State guy, you got mm-hmm. some connections to these guys, um, but without having the full picture in mind, it's really hard to pass any kind of judgment. You don't have all the details. Uh, it could be any assortment of reasons. Now, I also heard similar things in terms of, you know, maybe an attitude issue as early as last year. So I don't know if that carried over. I don't know. I just don't know. And that seems to be the theme and the topic with the Jaguars, too. No, Nobody has any idea. And that's going to make it really difficult to uh, move Telvin if he doesn't want to be here. Because say, say a GM calls, right? Say GM calls the Jaguars and says, hey, what's going? What's up with Telvin? Uh, we're interested. We have an opening at weak side linebacker, a team like Carolina or Atlanta or Philly. And uh, what's, what's Dave going to say? 
I, I don't know. I can't, we can't get in touch with I don't know. Maybe they have gotten in touch with them. They haven't let us know. So it's it's kind of a double-edged sword because it hurts the team because you can't you can't move him. You can't entertain you know any type of trade offers because they don't know where he is. And I, I want to see if he'll report to some of the mandatory stuff once that starts happening. Do you think he will? Uh, yeah, I, I think he will because I think when stuff is mandatory, it starts to affect your pocket. And I do believe he'll show up. I, look, I don't think Telvin is is not a good character guy. I, I think he is. I think there are layers to him, and, and he's a very emotional guy. In fact, let me just let's just break this down real quick. Let's talk about Telvin and the type of person he is. He, undersized, coming out of Florida State, drafted in the fifth round. People think and believe is because he had a positive marijuana test. There was possibility that he could have gone a round or two earlier. But when he came out, most people felt like. And they believed that he was better than his draft position. He was needed to play early. He isn't. He, he doesn't fall into the player development category for me because he didn't have time to to sit and develop. He, Telvin Smith had to play right away because when he was drafted, this team had the worst roster in the National Football League, possibly in the history of the National Football League. When this regime, the current regime, at least from a uh, personnel department regime, took over, they, they've been to a coach or two already, but the thing is, is he had to play right away, and he was ready to play right away because of the type of defense that he played in college. Uh, he came in, was a fiery, emotional leader of that team, always chirping, always uh, clapping his hands, always playing with a lot of energy. Uh, he was one of those initial guys that I kind of went to. Uh, I, I didn't go to A-Rob, but I did mention to Telvin, I did mention to Malik Jackson, that they were complaining about when the fans weren't with the team. They, You know, they weren't in their seats during the game, and the stadium was empty when the team was losing. They said, hey, you know, don't come and jump on the bandwagon when things turn around. I kind of whispered in the ear a little bit. I said, got to understand what these guys have been through, and you can't really do that. And uh, they kind of nodded their head. They said, yeah, we understand. You know, it's just an emotional game. And, and see, that's the thing about a guy like Telvin. You love the emotion. You love the fire. You love the passion until you have to be on the other side of it. And I think a little bit of that has happened. Now, when you deal with emotional guys and when you deal with guys that wear it on their sleeve and play with their heart and drop their sack, so to speak, all the time, when things aren't going well and he didn't play his best last year and the whole organization had frustration last year, now I think that emotion kind of works against him and against those people around him because it's the same thing. The situation has just changed. So the emotion is good when you're winning. The emotion is, is not so good when you're losing. And I think sometimes what happens is that's what comes into play. It's the same thing. It's just that you're looking at it from a different perspective. How did he go from fan favorite, one of, the, one of the five guys that were initially put into the top 100 on the NFL's top 100 list on the, on, NFL, on the NFL network, voted by the players. How did he go from that to the guy who introduced and, and basically gave uh, the, the opening words for Paul Puzlesny's retirement tearfully, emotionally, even told a story about them coming from different backgrounds, gave a tearful emotional speech. How does he go from that guy who's that beloved to all of a sudden now in terms of the team not even having contact with him? The fans are saying, well, he wasn't that good anyway. Go ahead and cut him. Fans are obviously in situations like this. I always say they're a little PR machine for the management. They always side with management regardless of the, knowing the ins and outs of the situation. 
But how could a player go from that? That's a that's a total 180. That that is a total difference of opinion and, and of, of what the public sentiment is about Telvin Smith. He goes from the guy who's the emotional leader. He goes from the guy who introduces Pazlesny and does it in tears to the guy who now everyone says, ah, we don't need him, trade him, get rid of him. Yeah, it obviously went sideways somewhere. And uh, I, I kind of joke that the, the moment where it started to, the tipping point is where he had the interception against the Dolphins. And we ended up winning that pointless game, remember, at the end of the year? Mm-hmm. And uh, everyone's kind of peeved at that point because we weren't going anywhere. And all it did was kind of mess up our draft position. Now, looking back in retrospect, that's so funny because it didn't even matter because we got a guy like Josh Allen slip to us at seven. And it's just funny how those things work out. Um, but it's, it, it, it is the perception of Telvin Smith in this fan base is changing. And I don't know what's going to come of it. They can't move on from him. They can't cut him because it doesn't make sense financially to do that. And uh, it's going to, like I mentioned before, it's going to be hard to move him if they want to, just because, you know, with him not being around, uh, it definitely kind of cripples his value in terms of being able to position him to other teams. And uh, hopefully he can come back in and have, have the right mindset and they can iron everything out. I don't think it's, I certainly don't think anything's past the point of reparation. Do you? No, I don't think it's point, a past point of reparation. I just think they have to uh, get together and have a little bit of, of an understanding and get back on the same page. And hopefully for the Jaguars, hopefully for the fans, and hopefully for Smith. I thought he was going to be one of those guys who's a candidate to, to retire here. Hopefully they can fix this and uh, try to see this thing through. Uh, but if not, hey, that's life. That's the business of football. And uh, we'll uh, see what happens. Right, quick, take a break. And when we get back, Phil and I are going to look at some positions on the offense that we did not look over or talk about much last time. Running back, tight end, and a little bit of the offensive line. You're listening to the Locked on Jaguars podcast. You know, finding good qualified candidates can be the worst. Luckily for me, I get to work with my dude T-Wig, but if you don't got yourself a T-Wig, check out ZipRecruiter.com slash LockedOn. ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards, but they don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invite them to apply to your job. As applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one and spotlights the top candidates so you never miss a great match. ZipRecruiter is so effective that 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. And right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash LockedOn. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N. ZipRecruiter.com slash LockedOn. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. And Fournette's hurt. Oh, and Leonard Fournette is injured. It's Fournette's ankle. We spatted it up. He said he's good to go. That's awesome. Okay, welcome back to Locked On Jaguars. I'm T Wig along with my man Phil. Yo. Uh, yeah, man. Uh, the offensive line, Phil. Was it addressed enough, in your opinion, in free agency in the draft? And uh, what does the depth chart, in your opinion, look like from tackle to tackle? Yeah, I like it. I'm feeling it. So, my initial thought process is first of all, it's it's 
it's apples and oranges to compare the offensive line to what it was last year because it wasn't really the offensive line. It was a skeleton crew uh, full of just bodies that they, they sign off the street because, as, in the words of Tom Coughlin and Nate, Nate Hackett, you know, there's they've never seen anything like it in terms of the attrition and the injuries on that side of the football. Now they got a lot of options. They have a lot of depth to the point where we're going to see maybe some guys that are looking good in camp not make the roster. And that's always a high-class problem, a champagne problem to have. So my my initial uh, projection, of course, is Cam Robinson, Andrew Norwell, Brandon Linder, uh, AJ Can, and Joan Taylor from left to right. I wouldn't be surprised if Owehi wins that right tackle uh, backup job. Mm-hmm. And... They kind of, and then on the depth chart, they pencil in Will Rich, Will Richardson as the backup right guard, even though he is a right tackle. Because when they drafted Will Richardson, Dave Caldwell even mentioned that he might have some guard flexibility. So I think Will Richardson, with the addition of Juwan Taylor on this football team, he's really going to have to show that you know he he might have some versatility and he will be a valuable death piece if he can't beat him out outright at the right tackle spot he's going to have to be a little bit more valuable um but we'll see how they play that's still a long way away shatley's going to probably make the team uh, backup center he could also moonlight in both guard positions and then i think that left tackle spot is going to go down between josh wells and leonard wester and uh, I know a lot of people probably think that Josh Wells has the upper hand on that battle, but I'd say not so fast because Wester, of course, was signed from the Tampa Bay Bucks last year where uh, Warhop came from, the new offensive line coach. So he, he actually has a better relationship with the offensive line coach than Josh Wells does. And, of course, Wells, you have to be, you have to be durable at that backup position because it's bad enough to go from the starter to the, to the backup uh, the depth on offensive line is very poor across the National Football League. But once you have to go from the starter to the third stringer, then you're, you're dead in the water at that point. Yeah, Phil, you know, I got a feeling, and I'm saying this, of course, as a joke. I got a feeling that I'm going to be somewhere in an old folks home one day in a diaper, and Tyler Shatley still going to be on this football team. <laughs> I, just, I just feel like Tyler Shatley and Josh Wells are going to be on this football team when I have dentures, you know what I'm saying? They're just going to be here. It just seems like two names. Uh, and and what, I know I'm going to have a future podcast and talk about the importance of player development because those are two guys that, quite frankly, by this point, you would hope that they would be starters as opposed to guys hanging around for their third, fourth, and fifth year and they're still backups. But uh, nothing like having the trust of the coach, I guess. Uh, but I'm looking forward to a battle a little bit at right guard because I was a little bit surprised that they re-signed A.J. Can. I did believe that it may have been easier for them to move Brandon Linder back to guard and go out and get a veteran center. That's what I thought they would do. Uh, but uh, obviously they chose not to do that. They're going to leave Brandon Linder right where he is. Um, Will Richardson, I-, I guarantee you that there's somebody down there. Usually it's a scout or GM or whoever, assistant GM, whoever it was, maybe the director of college scout, whoever it was that said last year, we're going to use a fourth-round pick on Will Richardson. They're probably deep down inside pulling for him to win that right guard spot, uh, even though they paid Ken all that money. But the thing is, is if he does put up a a real good challenge to A.J. Ken, that means it's better off for the football team. Now, tight end. This team has, I think, since its inception, has always tried to find a way to fix the tight end position, and they haven't done it. I, I would probably 
be able to say and go through all of the other NFL teams and find a tight end that's better than any tight end this team has ever had. Uh, maybe in some cases, two or three tight ends that they've had that are, that are better than any tight end this team has ever had. I don't know why it's been so hard to fill, but uh, they, they apparently think that they've done it now of going out and drafting Josh Oliver in the third round, a guy that I was extremely high on. I've used the comp in the past to Jermichael Finley because I believe having a guy that can run seams with athleticism and get up and go catch the ball. He had one of the highest uh, contested catches uh, percentage in college football last year. A guy that knows how to find the end zone. He knows how to find the ball when it's in the air. The ball doesn't have to be perfect. I really do think he's a good addition. Um, especially when they go to the two tight end sets where they have somebody who's a designated blocker as well as Josh Oliver in the game who comes from a passing offense. So at the very least, the kid knows how to run routes. Yeah, ab- absolutely. I really like Josh Oliver. I like him in that F position. And I think that John Filippo, most importantly, has a really good plan for him. And that, that's critical and that's crucial. And he fits really well, um, his traits and his play style with what they want out of that position. Uh, in terms of generating production in the passing game. Uh, you could run the seam, you could stretch the field vertically, which is something that this team has not seen uh, very often. I really would still like to see them get a second tight end, just because, like you said, they run those two tight end sets so much. If they could somehow just find a way, I know it's hard because you have to pay Yannick, you have to pay Miles Jack, you have to pay Ramsey, uh, but if they could just find a way to somehow also get Kyle Rudolph, they have nine draft picks next year, that would be a huge addition. All of a sudden, you could play him at the Y tight end, uh, and he could do a little bit more of that inline blocking, whereas you know Josh Oliver goes and, and runs his routes and does more of the vertical stuff. And that's, that's a matchup nightmare all of a sudden. Think of it from the opposing defensive coordinator's perspective. What are you going to do? Who are you going to mark? What players are you going to assign to who? What formations? Now, that gets, re- that gets really interesting if you're a Jaguars fan because I think Jeff Swaim is best suited to be that third tight end, kind of that hybrid tight end, fullback uh, type of guy, that Trey Burton, if you compare to the Eagles depth chart. Uh, of course, they had Zach Ertz, they had uh, Dallas Goddard, and they had uh, uh, Trey Burton before he went to the, to the Bears and signed the free agent deal. Um, he was kind of that tight end fullback hybrid type guy um so i would definitely see jeff swain better in that role versus a tight end too um and they're not paying him that much so it's, it wouldn't be a big issue but that's 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 kind of the ideal i think they could roll with what they have i think they're comfortable with rolling with what they have and one other thing that i want to add because um i i cover the big 12 for, for optimum scouting carson meyer I really like this guy. This guy was a four-star recruit coming out of high school. Um, he had offers from huge programs, Power 5 programs, and wanted to stay home uh, locally. Uh, Lincoln Riley has privately lauded him for his blocking ability, his availability, his investment in the playbook. His father was a basketball player at Tulsa. He comes from good genetics. He already has a master's degree in informa- information tech management, academic all Big 12 guys. So we talk about John Filippo and the types of players he likes. That you know, intelligent guy is going to bury themselves in the playbook. Carson Myers right up his alley, and um, that's a, that's a guy I'm gonna I'm gonna watch for because I I don't have any information on this, but I have a gut feeling that if they didn't trade out of that second seventh round pick after Dontavious Russell with Seattle, I have a feeling a hunch that Carson Meyer would have been that pick anyway because I know that Dave wanted to leave the draft with two tight ends. 
they did want to leave the draft with two tight ends, and they drafted one, and they got another. Now, usually the guy who is in the news for some of the wrong things, uh, Leonard Fournette, he's done some good things. He did some things with some high school kids around here. He's done some charity. Um, he's also not paid speeding tickets, and they uh, had an episode of America's Most Wanted, I thought, on the TV screen around here when he got arrested for not paying a ticket, a fine, got into a fight on the field. Uh, there were people right out of the gate when he was picked that didn't like to pick. They didn't value running backs. They didn't like him and his running style, even though uh, they didn't like the fact that Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson were passed over, even though I have information that says that they weren't going to draft a quarterback anyway because they were they were committed to Blake. They probably would have had Marshawn Lattimore as a nickel corner, or they would have drafted uh, the Adams kid that went to the Jets as a safety. So they, they you know, neither here nor there, everyone who has an agenda or has a feeling about Leonard Fournette, uh, he did not help himself last year by not being healthy, uh, having a bad hamstring. I saw him come into camp. He was 221. I saw him as fast as, I was ever, as I've ever seen him. They said he, that's the first time he'd been that light since high school. So he was in shape. Then he got hurt. And then he tried to come back, and then he got hurt worse with a hamstring injury. Then after that, here's what happened. He came back and it said something in the press conference about he came back and was playing well, actually played pretty good against the Colts, was playing pretty good against Buffalo, and then got into a fight in that game. So once he got suspended, then things changed. He said something like, I'm not quite in shape. People took that as he was sitting around just eating hamburgers and laying on the couch watching – uh, episodes of Game of Thrones or something. That's not what that... To me, what it means is I haven't been able to run for seven to eight weeks. I'm not in football shape. When you have a bad hamstring, you can't do leg cardio. That's just what it is. Uh, I, I just think he has to watch his words. I think he has to stay healthy, prove that he can run out of the shotgun, which, you know, he didn't do a lot of it at LSU. I think one of the things he's dispelled though is that he can't catch. People will stop saying that. They thought he couldn't catch because they didn't see him. First of all, LSU didn't have a quarterback who could throw, and he also had that problem here his first two years in the NFL. So when you – when you, Phil, when you tell everybody you want to run, but you have an offensive line that's banged up and you have a quarterback that can't throw and you got a stacked box, at some point does this guy get a little bit of a break from the fans? Yeah, I hope so. And uh, – t- he was a lot better receiver than I thought. He He's really good catching the ball out of the backfield, and I hope they use him a lot in, in the new offensive system, doing a lot of those things. The only thing that I really worry about, and like you mentioned, is him running out of the shotgun. He hasn't been particularly successful doing that, and he has said himself that he prefers to have a fullback to be his eyes. He doesn't want to process and, and utilize his vision to, to see the gaps. He'd rather um, have that lead guy do it and uh, go from there and just use his physicality and use his speed um, and power to, to make gains and, and make those big plays. So I'm really curious to see how he's going to work out of that shotgun formation this year, which they're going to run a ton of. We saw a picture today. I don't know if you saw it, Wig, but... Um, uh, Fournette posted the picture taking the hand off from Foles, and uh, they, they look really excited. I, I, Fournette looks really excited about the Foles edition, and uh, we'll see. I, I think uh, the stable behind Fournette with Reichwell Armstead, I think that's a really tough dude now. That's a really big competitor behind him. Armstead played with, I think, like a fractured ankle for a few games this, this or a sprained ankle for a few games this year, so they 
the team definitely liked his durability and his competitive toughness, and I think that uh, that's going to be a really good complement, a one-two punch with Fournette. So we'll, we'll see where it goes from here, but uh, he, he needs to have a big year now. He was a top-five pick. He's got to be, at the end of the year, he has to be in the discussions with the Todd Gurley's and the Zeke Elliott's because that's where he was picked. And it might be unfair, but those are the types of expectations that come when you get selected so high above Deshaun Watson, Patrick Mahomes, etc. Well, all I'll tell you is this, and this is what I and I'm gonna be I'm gonna admit I'm gonna be transparent. I was a big Leonard Fournette guy, I was a big Leonard Fournette fan. But I think for him to be mentioned with Zeke and Gurley and the rest of those guys, you have to surround him with some of those things that they have. Now, Saquon Barkley makes the argument that okay, I didn't have an offensive line, I didn't do this, I didn't do but they put him in really, really good positions. They still did they did still have have a quarterback who's won two Super Bowls. Um and they and they they called the they called the right plays for him. I, I think with Leonard Fournette, I'd like to see a lot of screens, a lot of draw plays, uh, and stuff like that, uh, to where you game, where you call him into, uh, and you formation him into success. Um, I'd like to see more of what we saw in the two Pittsburgh games this rookie year, and in the New England game, and in the Seattle game. It seems like to me, with that tough competition, he was able to get out and play really, really well. And I hope he gets back to that. A lot of it has to do with the offensive line. A lot of it has to do with not having too many tails when it comes to your offense, which they had with Blake as the quarterback and with the coordinators, um, with, the, with the passing game that they were or were not working with. Uh, I'm looking forward to him having a big year. Uh, good guy. He's not the POS that a lot of people say it says he is. Does a lot of good stuff for charity. Maybe a little bit immature. Plays a lot. Maybe the funniest guy on the team. Uh, but none of that means anything if you're not available and if you're not on the field. Uh, all right, Phil, you had a, a good interview session. And we're going to get to that. Why don't you tell everybody what's coming up with that? Yeah, so actually it's my good buddy, uh, Christian Page. Christian used to work in scouting with me at Optimum Scouting. That's how we met. And uh, now he... Uh, does some radio for Sports Call AU. Uh, he's an Auburn alum. He's very invested in that program. Uh, would have daily contact with the players and do interviews and, and speak with them, much like um, you know, like our local media here in Jacksonville. So he's really familiar with the Auburn program. He, he's also a writer and contributor for Cover One, uh, which is a great sports set covering the NFL draft. And of course, we have two Auburn players that are new additions to this team in seventh round pick nose tackle Dontavious Russell and his partner in crime, uh, another defensive tackle and. Andrew Williams from Auburn. So uh, just sat down with, with Christian and got a little bit of his thoughts and what type of guys we're getting, what type of players we're getting, and kind of how they fit into depth chart and if they can compete to make this roster. All right, we'll have that interview and uh, uh, in a, for another edition of Locked On Jaguars podcast. We'll have that in our last segment, and we'll do that right after the break. All right, guys, we're back here at Locked on Jaguars. I got my good buddy Christian Page with me. Christian is a co-host for Sports Call AU Radio covering Auburn and also is a contributing writer to Cover One uh, as well, a fantastic website. Uh, that's at Sports Call AU. You can follow them on Twitter there, at cover underscore one underscore. And then to follow Christian himself, uh, at underscore Christian Page. Now, Christian and I work together at Optimum Scouting. That's kind of how we got introduced and uh, now, of course, Christian moved on to work with Cover One. Uh, if you haven't checked out Cover One, it's an absolutely exceptional website. I would highly recommend it. They had some of the best threads in terms of draft preparation that you'll see. 
Uh, they do an exceptional job, and Christian is a very talented writer. And uh, so I brought him on here because the Jacksonville Jaguars actually had a little bit of Auburn flavor in their draft. They uh, brought in two, not one, but two Auburn defensive tackles, seventh-round pick Dontavious Russell, and also, of course, an undrafted free agency, Andrew Williams. So I just wanted to get Christian's perspective on these guys and see what their strengths are, what their weaknesses are, and ultimately how they could factor into making the squad. So Christian, let, let, let us know uh, kind of your scouting report on these guys and what Jacksonville's getting. Yeah, with Dontavious Russell, a class act. Uh, when we had media availability every week uh, at Auburn, we would get players after practice. Dontavious was always one of the, the guys that would come to the podium along with Deshaun Davis, who's now at Cincinnati, and of course, Jarrett Sim, the quarterback now at New England. So Don Tavis, you're getting a guy, definitely has all the leadership and all the intangible qualities. Uh, now, translating to the football field, uh, you're going to get not a super athletic guy, but a guy that's a pretty good mover in space. Uh, he's kind of flirted with a bunch of positions across that defensive line, strictly just that defensive tackle position, playing that zero tech to one tech to even the three tech at a time or two. Uh, but he, I think, in my opinion, he is best suited at nose tackle. He's a limited pass rusher. He can bring a little bit of pizzazz in that area, but he's not going to be that interior sexy pass rusher that a lot of NFL teams covet now. But I think when you're looking at Russell, you get a true nose tackle uh, that I think has some two-gap of an ability if he can keep his pad level square. I think that's his biggest knock uh, is kind of shooting a little high out of his stance, with a, which, of course, limits your, uh, you know, your capability of moving the pocket, moving forward, this, that, and the other. So if he can really get that pad level really bolted down to a comfortable level, he can get his feet underneath them, and then I think he can explode and create some kind of pressure in the pocket and fill some run lanes. But like I said, I think he's best suited as a nose tackle, uh, and he brings some of that two-gapping ability. And a four-year starter, I think that, that says a lot because you do not see that much uh, across the college landscape today. So I think Dontavious Russell could definitely fill a gap at that nose tackle position in a backup role now, depending on how he progresses, how he develops throughout uh, his time at Jacksonville. Maybe he could turn into at least a spot starter, maybe even a long-term starter. I'm not going to put that billing on him yet, but he does have some kind of capability where I think could be molded into at least somebody that could supplement uh, the other three-tech tackle. Going to Andrew Williams, he was pretty much the backup to Dontavious Russell. So kind of everything that I'm saying for an alignment purposes, Andrew Williams kind of fulfills that as well. Andrew Williams, I think, could be a little more of a chess piece across the defensive line. Occasionally you would see him come in as a defensive end, uh, you know, on the early downs to kind of help in that run support. Uh, but at the end of the day, he's going to be moved around more as that three to four to maybe even five tech if you want to move him that far outside. But Andrew Williams brings a lot of power. Uh, he brings a little more athleticism. He's not not a stat packer, but he's a guy that brings a lot of relief to that defensive line rotation. And if you talk to Rodney Garner, Auburn's defensive line coach, like I did at the beginning of the season or before the season even started, he said Andrew Williams is just as important as any of these high-caliber players at Auburn, like a Derrick Brown, Marlon Davidson, and a Don Tavius Russell or a Nick Coe, because he provides that relief and there's not much of a drop-off, really, if any. And I know that's a lot of high praise, but there's not much of a drop-off from a production standpoint and a leadership standpoint. That's fantastic. So based on what I'm hearing and what you're saying, uh, it sounds a lot like kind of like an Albert Huggins situation at Clemson, right, where, where that guy was just buried because they had two really good guys ahead of him. Um, so they, they actually could have something there in Andrew Williams that – 
maybe not making the 53-man roster, but potentially vying for one of those practice squad uh, positions going into the season, depending how he how he does in camp and you know how how he goes against some of that other competition. There, uh, Dontavius, we we were sitting together during the Senior Bowl, right up in the press box during the actual game and watching. And Dontavius just kept making plays, right, right. It, it was nothing flashy. He was just swallowing people, and uh, that's that's. Listen, nose tackle isn't exactly the most glamorous position. If you could take on two blocks every single time and cause a little bit of havoc and mayhem, that's great. And he seems like, like you've illustrated, he seems like a really awesome personality and a really cool guy. I saw a highlight on Twitter where uh, one of the offensive linemen he was going up against, I forget which game, but they jumped and uh, had a false start. And uh, Dontavious just started dancing and uh you know kind of showing off some of that personality so he seems like a cool guy he seems like he's going to be a really fun fit here with the jaguars and uh i'm i'm not so much thinking that they tried to draft marcel darius's heir apparent even though it's very unlikely that darius is going to be on the on the roster at his current salary for 2020 after this season however the guy behind him avery jones there is an out in his contract where with zero dead cap, the Jaguars can save $4 million. And if it's a backup nose tackle, as much as Avery Jones is revered and adored in that locker room, and he's I think he's our longest tenured Jaguar, believe it or not, um, as much of a bummer as it would be to see someone like that go, it's part of the NFL business for sure. And, I mean, $4 million is a pretty big chunk of change for a backup nose tackle. So rather than a, a direct Marcel Darius replacement i could definitely see more of a potential uh, flex flexibility for that backup nose tackle spot with avery jones and uh dontavious like you said he was kind of a hybrid defensive lineman guy he could always feel, move over next to darius and uh on, on rush downs or, or goal line downs and kind of create a human wall down that middle so nobody's going to be able to shoot those a gaps is that right yeah yeah absolutely like i said he has two gapping ability uh, and he has enough experience at, you know, anywhere from the zero tech to three tech. And he has that high character and he digests coaching uh, very quickly. And Rodney Garner, the defensive line coach at Auburn, he's a guy, he's a very hard nosed coach. And so it's either my way or the highway. And I think guys like Dontavious Russell and soon to be 2020 prospects, Marlon Davidson and Derek Brown, the other defensive lineman from Auburn, they thrive off that kind of demeanor that, hey, tell me what I'm doing wrong, push me, and then I'm going to thrive off that. And as a four-year starter under Rodney Garner and Coach Gus Malzahn, you have to say, hey, that's the demeanor he plays with. So it definitely correlates from his coaching uh, all the way to his ability on the field. So it would not surprise me one bit if he becomes one of the steals in the seventh round if he really digests that NFL playbook and finds a spot on this roster. Well, I like that, and I think a lot of Jaguars fans listening will like that as well. Uh, personally, I, I thought he would be gone right around the end of fourth, early fifth round cusp, that little turnaround. So outstanding value to me, to be honest. I know some uh, Jaguars fans seem a little upset because Gerald Willis was on the board. Of course, Gerald Willis was a highly rated prospect on a lot of pundits' boards. Uh, more of a three-tech guy, though, at Miami. And, of course, he's a Florida guy, so people are a little you know, from, from University of Miami. So people are a little bit more familiar with a guy like that. But make no mistake about it, 
Dontavious Russell is going to be a really good addition. Somebody fun to watch throughout camp and keep an eye on Andrew Williams as well behind him to possibly earn practice squad spot and uh, make some noise in, in rookie mini camp and uh, throughout there. So that's my buddy Christian Page. Christian, thank you so much. Again, you can find Christian at Sports Call AU, uh, co-host there. Also, check out his writing at Cover One. Christian, thanks so much for the time. And uh, this was the second episode of the new era of Locked On Jaguars. We'll catch you guys next time.